Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. AssetMap is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? AssetMap is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how AssetMap is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listeners discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today, I have with me in the studio, Voter De Witt. Voter is a certified financial planner and has been working with Liberty Life for a numerous amount of years. Uh, we also have a special relationship where we talk about financial planning and how things evolve every two weeks on a one-on-one basis. Voter, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Louis. Nice to be here. Voter, it's wonderful to have you here in the studio today. Give our listeners a little bit of a background of how you got into financial services world. Yeah, sure. So I've been in the financial planning industry for about 10 years Um, studied at uh, Stellenbosch University and actually studied financial planning. Um, I remember we were one of the first few graduates that actually started in the uh, financial planning subjects um, at Stellenbosch University before it uh, became postgrad or we did the postgrad afterwards. Um, so I think it was almost a natural progression that I do me move into the financial space. Um, always been interested in finances and financial planning. And yeah, now actually get paid doing it. So I, yeah, I love it. Why did you pick financial planning when selecting your modules at university? Yeah, yeah to, be, to be honest, and, and myself and my business partner, we always joke about that because uh, we actually studied together at, at university is... Um, when the lecturer actually explained financial planning, it sounded like this ideal world. But being young and naive, we don't really understand um, what financial planning really is until you start doing it. So um, it was actually almost by mistake. Um, I actually want my father is a, a advocate, and I actually wanted to go into the uh, to the lawyer type route, changing that with uh, law and finance, and then actually turned out to be exactly that by accident. So now I do work a lot with um, financial planning, but also obviously financial planning has a big uh, legal and tax aspect to it. So yeah, really, really perfect for, worked out perfectly. You mentioned your business partner also studied at the same time. And it's interesting how we form these deep connections during 
you know, our years where we study. Um, when you say business partner, it's something that people don't often, you know, recognize within financial planning, specifically working for a company like Liberty Life. How did that relationship come about? And, you know, how did you guys formalize it to become business partners? Yeah, that's actually a good question. So it's, it's not formalized in a in a way uh, where independent brokerage is formalized, where you split profits and those type of things. But it's it's more formalized in a, that we have a working relationship together. Um, we work together each on our own financial planning practices. But um, if something should happen to us, we do have buy and sell agreements in place. Um, so so it's a partnership in that regard. Um, and then how. T- got about is actually because we started together it was almost a natural transition i i went directly into liberty and he came a year after which because he finished his postgrad first um and yeah we actually build together we actually build financial technology programs together so he's my business partner on, on on that as well um so yeah that's that's how it happened i'm really looking forward to us having a conversation about you know the financial planning technology, and and we'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) I'm curious, the decision behind joining a larger, you know, tied agency like Liberty, um, how did that go? And what other options were you considering, specifically thinking of people listening to this that might say, you know, what do I do when I want to get into, you know, the financial advice delivery? Um, Tell us a little bit about how the, what the options were and how you made your decisions. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good question, Lou. And I'm actually a very big advocate for starting financial planners, especially junior financial planners, on a on a salary based um, structure. Um, reason being, myself, my business partner, and maybe five or six other guys in our team um, all started with a, a salary structure for four years, and after that, you moved over to a commission or fee based practice, and um, I keep on telling um, people and junior financial advisors that I see that I would not have been in the industry if it wasn't for that. So I'm a big advocate for that. And I know a lot of insurance companies um, have a salary-based package, but they also have the direct package. And it's it's difficult to start a practice. And um, so if you're starting, I would always recommend start with a salary-based practice. So you can just find your feet, see if it's really something that you would like to do, and then move over. So when I started... Um, I had a few options and it is, I'm a bit of conservative in nature. I had a bit of study loans and things when I finished. So I started on the financial on the financial planning salary structure and then slowly but surely moved over and brought, um, built my business so that I can move off a salary structure. So that's, yeah, like I said, I'm a big advocate for that because I that also enhances professional, professionalism because that's how accountants and all of um, TAs, all of this, so they start with salary and then slowly start transition into taking on bigger projects and doing revenue sharing. Um, yeah, so that's that's my view. Voter, you mentioned something interesting there, saying that, you know, you're conservative by nature. And I often wonder how the way we show up to our clients, you know, how our own risk tolerance, our own way of thinking about investing in financial options. How do you think that affect your relationship, specifically if you're dealing with a client that might be very aggressive? Do you think it has an impact or... Is it really, you know, we we take our own hats off and we, you know, put ourselves in the client's shoes? Mm, again, another good question, Lee, and I've actually been reflecting a lot on that because we as financial plans need to be objective. Um, and initially, it almost bothered me a lot where um, almost clients, I would give advice and they would not 
always take that advice. And I almost took that personally. And um, so I think after being in the industry for 10 years, I realized that you have to meet clients in the middle. Um, you can you can't force your opinions on them or your risk tolerance on them, um, and some people are more risk averse, uh, and some people aren't. So it's, I think, be objective in in it's a, but with a bit of experience. I think that taught me to be more objective and give my opinion. And there's also structures in place for certain reasons. I think as you move along in the industry, you'll realize soon that certain clients has to be in certain positions. Um, and I think the big thing with that being you always have to look at the client themselves. If you spend time with a client, you'll easily realize what their knowledge base looks like. Um, and then I'll from at that point decide how aggressive or how conservative, but also how almost pushy I need to be with that client to tell him that, I know you want to go 100% equities, but this is the only money you have. And maybe we must look at a bit more conservative. So yeah, I think being um, straight with the client, being objective, um, and then giving your advice in the end, you can only recommend they'll have to take their own advice or take your advice or not take your advice. I like that. And it's almost a spectrum. You know, you can say, okay, for this client, I need to be a little bit more assertive. And for this one, I can dial it back. Dr. Moira Summers talks about advice that sticks in a book and just, you know, being able to deliver advice where people actually take action, because that's a big problem in our industry. You know, we can spend mm -hmm. the whole day just giving advice and if no one takes it, what is the value of that? What was the early kind of roles that, you know, helped craft the way you deliver advice? You spoke about having a fixed base salary and how that's helped. What are the other structures that companies put in, in place to help you be a successful financial planner? Yeah, I, th I think it is. It's quite difficult initially um, to almost build a practice, um, and and most insurance companies they work towards almost certain. I don't want to call it targets, but certain goals that you have to achieve, uh, and initially that's it's something difficult to cope with. But those goals or, or targets are actually put there for a reason because then you follow the natural um, path to get to a successful business um, and. I've mentored a few junior financial planners and that's sometimes a big headache for them to to almost think, okay, they have to achieve that a certain amount in a year. But I think if you change your way of thinking around that and actually say, this is what I need to achieve to get to my business goals in three or four or five years, that, that helps me a lot. So I, I do think most companies, they have a certain set of rules that you have to follow. And if you should follow these rules, you will be successful um, as a financial planner, but also as um, as your clients would be successful. Because, for example, I know I need to do a certain amount of new investment. And sometimes I have to phone a client and follow up and where's your investment? And we've talked about this. And uh, it, it comes across maybe sometimes as salesy, but in the end, if I can just take a real example of, of this week, I had to follow up with a client, but he had five million just sitting in cash. Um, he already had a tax problem, could find a much better structure for him, and it's needed. So I agree with your point that sometimes it is needed to, to follow up with a client. And how do you actually get to the point where they follow your advice without you coming across that you almost selling them, if I can say it like that? Because other big thing I normally tell my clients is, Remember me pushing you and saying, come on, let's do financial planning. Let's walk towards the goal. It's not me trying to, again, sell you something, but it's me trying to 
motivate you, encourage you, because when you get, for example, to 65 and you want to retire, you're only going to be angry at me and said, voter, why didn't you over the last 30 years tell me that I'm a big, I'm a big trouble? So I think it's a big mind shift thing. And, and yeah, you need to keep that mind shift strong, positive, because that does filter through to clients. It's a very difficult balance. I was reading an article yesterday about where a, a client of a financial planner passed away in the last three years. He spent almost all his money on medical expenses. And the children said to the financial planner, why didn't you help our dad? You were the financial planner. Mm. You know, why didn't you do a better job? And I think sometimes we have this, you know, wait, and, and specifically me, I feel like, you know, you're responsible for a client's outcome. But what you're saying mm. is that you can actually use that positively to say, okay, you know, we have these milestones to grow our business. We know what we need to achieve. And at the same time, we're, we're helping our clients. Tell me about the times when it's really difficult. You know, when um, I'm sure you might have a story where you decided, okay, I want to change careers. Is there something <laughs> like that? Because it seems like every guest have, have had something similar. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I uh, in my third year, actually, and I don't even think I've ever told you the story, but in my third year, I was, um, I've been in the business for a while. So I've started to understand investments and I actually got an offer from, from an investment company to come and be an investment specialist with them. And at that stage, it was almost double my salary. So <laughs> what, 20, what 23, 24-year-old would not almost jump to the opportunity. But concurrently, I, I got into a big um, retrenchment uh, company that did a lot of retrenchments. And I started to add a lot of value to those clients' um, retrenchments and had to, to preserve their funds or to retire from their funds. And it actually came at this perfect um time because if that didn't happen i probably would have jumped into another part of our finance um and not stayed as a financial planner and after that it actually changed my career completely so yes things work out like they need to work out the author of radical focus talked about golden eggs and there's these golden eggs that come past you and you know we want to chase the golden eggs and it's it's wonderful to hear that you actually said you know what this doesn't align with uh my vision of the future and i'm going to stick at it. We see this big trend of people talking about, you know, uh, cutting out the intermediaries, uh, clients going directly, you know, be it through default preservation, you know, in-fund annuitization. Do you see that in practice that clients think that they don't need advice um, or, you know, is there something else happening? Yeah, definitely. Um, we do see that often. And um, me personally, I a few years, actually five or six years ago, we were sit, sitting at a conference and uh, there was a London actually speaking about where the future is and what jobs won't be there. And actually said in that presentation that financial advisors won't have a job in five years because of automated and robo-advice. Well, then I think that was in 2015, so about six or seven years ago. And at that stage, I got quite a big fright to, to understand uh, that. And yes, we've seen that happen. And at that stage, I actually overreacted completely. And I went to go build a whole direct robo-advisor with, with my business partner. And that's actually also worked out well because that was the start of my fintech career. Um, so yes, we do see people going directly. But maybe in 2015, I didn't believe what I understand now to be true that, yes, there will always be clients that go direct, but most clients need us as financial planners to guide them. And they maybe don't need 
as much guidance, especially the 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 smart smart clients and the, uh, the financial savvy clients. They need as much guidance as before because of the wealth knowledge that's online. But they sometimes need, need they just need a almost a soundboard. So my top clients even they would even make their own portfolio recommendations and change it. But they would need me as a sounding board to say, do I agree with it? Do I do this? Um, and then in times of market difficulty and um, people invading other countries, then it's, it's quite important to, to just give them peace of mind and say, remember, this is what normally happens. Um, stay true to your goal. So I think it's, yes, financial guidance, but also just a bit of emotional support to clients. Um, so there are people that go direct, but I do think there's still a massive, massive role for financial planners um, in the future. Yeah. Or at least the people aspect of it. Voter, I completely agree with you. And, you know, as you mentioned this week, we saw Russia starting to invade Ukraine. How do you react to these headlines? Just personally, how do you keep yourself grounded and, you know, telling your client, hey, stay invested? Because uh, we all know mm. that's the thing that we should do. But how do you keep yourself reminded? Like, what are the practical things that you do? And let's maybe take this week as an example. Yeah, I'm sure you felt the same fear saying, okay, should we be panicking <laughs> or do we just stay, <laughs> stay the course? Yeah. And you say like almost what steps do you take with your clients? But I would even say that same philosophy is, is with yourself. I almost have arguments with myself the whole time, especially after the COVID pandemic. Why didn't I invest more when the market was low? So it's, it's something that you, you do have to go look at history and it's, this is nothing. COVID was maybe a, a black swan event, but Everything has happened before. It recovers. People are very resilient. Businesses are resilient. Um, remember, at the top of a business, there's people managing and changing it. So sometimes they need to understand there's not only just the equity or portfolio, but there's actually portfolio managers behind that portfolio. There's business owners. Take a, a big bank or a big listed top 40 company. There's management teams constantly changing that. And I do think that's just... Don't panic, stick, stay the course. Um, and I always argue that us as financial planners, we might be smart and implement things, but there's always people much smarter than us, much higher up, making the few bigger decisions. And, and I trust them. That's, that's a, such a great response. And it's something we often forget that, you know, we invest in businesses and you're, you're part of, you own part of that small business and these people working at it never mind the bigger picture on the stock market and and getting your clients excited and getting them on board have you seen big emotional responses in the last couple of years you know we've had covert we have wars we had the global financial crisis uh, what stands out for you for in terms of client behavior yeah definitely i think um I've I've seen a few few irrational decisions where, where clients has moved completely to money market or, or completely out of the market and um and that never that never actually works out because it's uh, it's that old financial planning graph greed and fear um greed you always want to make the most and fear you don't want to lose any money and that does dictate almost uh, it's emotional we we make we make decisions emotionally we we can think we think logically about things but the the emotional decision making is a part of our brain we can't make decisions without emotions so i have seen a few bad things unfortunately where clients would move out into the out of the market 
exactly at that time where it's where it's low and then move in exactly when it's high but i think that's the role of us um not trying to to time the market and just getting clients to stay invested because over any period of time um we do we always see a recovery um and like we said it's with with, with the businesses um so yeah i think it's it's sometimes difficult for us to to not be emotional as financial planners and and not get wrapped up into it um and I've actually seen myself actually be less emotional when times are bad and when clients get emotional because then I know I have to take this um, leadership position and say, no, this is not what we decided. Let's move forward. Let's stay strong. And so far, it's worked out with, with the recovery um, each time. I've only been in the industry for, for 10 years. So I've only seen two or three. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully everything goes good going forward. That's so true. The only thing we can guarantee is that at some point you will lose money. Anything else will uh, hopefully turn out well. Tell me about those conversations. You know, when you're pushing back and you're saying, okay, Mr. Client or Mrs. Client, uh, this is the right thing. We know it's the right thing. Um, what happens if they are too forceful and, you know, they come back quite mm. aggressively? At what point do you back off? Because I find that that's, mm. a, you know, it can be a tricky balance. Mm, yeah, no, I agree. I, I think sometimes what I've also realized is by being too pushy, sometimes you also get the wrong result. Um, so you must, in my opinion, try and be objective, give your opinion, and then pose it to them. I'm just here to give you all the facts or as much information as possible. In the end, you need to make the decision. Um, and by be almost, it's that old saying of, the more you want someone to do something, the more they don't want to do it. And if you actually tell them, okay, it's fine, we've listened and we've decided, they'll actually say, okay, but oh, why Why is he going this route and actually would want to go opposite? So I'll, I'll, I think we as people are wired quite quite uniquely. Yeah, sometimes I, I think it's, it's good not to be too pushy because then you'll actually get a better result. But in the end, it is the client's decision. And then you then have to think out of a compliance point of view, make sure as a financial planner, you've documented everything, explain to them like, listen, this is my recommendation. But in the end, you decide to go a different route. And that does happen. And then we also have to protect our businesses um, and documenting it properly. Vote, you've spoken now quite a bit about, you know, how we become that client's partner in making decisions. Yet when we look at our training as financial planners, historically, there's been very little training around, you know, human decision making and these type of conversations that we've had to have with clients day to day. What are the tools and resources that you rely on to help you build these skills? Or is it really just, you know, gaining that through experience, reflecting on conversations and just trying to show up better? Yeah, I think it's in, in a combination of, of, of things. And if I have to take more specific tools that I use is... I always try to just put myself in a client's shoes and how I like, for example, my accountant to react with me, how I like uh, any actually consumer, how a consumer reacts with, with, with other people, with other businesses. Um, so my big thing is I'm very big on communication. Um, and it's sometimes as small as I have a few communication methods, but uh, I have a, a monthly newsletter that goes out to clients. Um, and I have a, a weekly market update going out to, to clients um, just on WhatsApp. So I do a broadcast list for about 220 of, of my clients. And there I just give them a quick breakdown of what happened in the week, uh, what's going on in the markets, what's the rent against the dollar, et cetera, et cetera. 
And I do think that gives them a bit of peace of mind sometimes as well, just to know that don't worry, my financial planner is there, he's sending me things and he's being there. So I do think it is good to have these tools in place um, to communicate to clients because if you communicate to clients, then they almost gain more confidence in you. And then, as you mentioned, they will almost automatically start following your advice because as clients, they know, okay, he's reading up, he knows what's going on, he's reassuring me. And then I get to clients sometimes and I think, but, and they'll tell me, but yeah, I don't even want to make decisions. Just do what you think is right. And that's sometimes a good pat on the shoulder because they know the trust is there. So yeah, I do think communication is is key when working with clients. I want to I wanna unpack a little bit this kind of weekly update around what's happening in the market. Do you find that puts the focus on very short-term movements or does it give you an opportunity to reframe what's going on in the news? Yeah, so the big thing what I do with that is I, I won't go in too much detail in terms of what your Pacific portfolio has done or um, it will just be a general almost good news market finance related update. Um, and what I found is that it's just nice for clients sometimes to reference back to that, just to say, but look, yeah, this week this happened, this happened. So it's not not to create panic. It's actually to to prevent panic, to know that um, this is what's going on. I do put all the facts in, but I do try to keep it positive, um, telling them a good news story, telling them what's going on in the market, this week's budget, did a quick recap on the budget, Um and just, it was a good budget. It was a good, positive budget. It's the best one we've had in, in years. And it's good for clients to know that. Because I do think, like we said, it's it's emotional. And if clients are positive and they're thinking things go positive, then it goes better with them as well. Because in the end, like you said, it's uh, most things are out of our control. Markets, the finances, the equity markets, Putin invading Ukraine. So... I do think it is important, that communication aspect and, and keeping it positive and keeping a healthy mindset for your clients. I love how so you can, touch on these things yeah. that, you know, like you're saying, it it's the things that we can control. And if we look at the research, you know, client communication is up there in terms of why clients leave. You know, they tend to leave when there's little communication or their expectations are misaligned with what's happening and they don't know what's going on. I want to touch on a subject that might be a little bit or more difficult to navigate, and that's losing a client. Tell me about you know the time when clients might have moved to another advisor, or you're up against the, uh, another advisor, and you and you lose out on that business. How does that affect you personally, and what does that do in terms of you looking at your business? Yeah, Louis, I think as you grow in in, in this business, I think your, your your skin also hardens a little bit because um initially i took it very hard that if i didn't get a, a new client or if i lost a client but over the years it almost builds up that people's circumstances change people move away they build new relationships with you we don't maybe touch base as often and also new people comes into their lives so to be honest i don't take it personally anymore if if i do lose a client uh, I am very specific when I move a client, when a client moves away from me, um, that I do explain to them that um, sometimes it's it's better. But if I do see it's not better and there's there's not good advice given, um, I am an advocate f- for our industry, trying to keep it professional, and I am quite hard up on if I see there wasn't good advice given. Not as much with the client, but I will follow up with the advisor and. 
and actually explain to them that, listen, if you want to take over this this investment or take over this this policy, you're more than welcome. But please don't just switch it or, or, or churn it to generate commission. And I, I think that's a, um, a big step uh, for us at, as advisors to, to take. Because my personal feeling of I've also taken over clients from other advisors. And I think sometimes we as advisors take it personally from other advisors that we are now stealing their client or anything like that. Sometimes the fit is just better. And so when I do have a conversation with another advisor, and even if sometimes um, a client moves away from me, I'll try really to keep it not hostile in the sense of, okay, I can see uh, maybe I'd, maybe the advice is not even better, but I can still see you have a better relationship with a client. So let me help you move over this client to you. Um, because I feel that us as financial planners, we sometimes take it so personally and we almost want to, what's going on? Why are you stealing my client? And that just creates such a bad reputation for our industry. Um, and I do think to, to keep it professional and rather try and help out each other because, for example, what happened with, with, with one advisor, I actually, uh, he took over a client from mine and I phoned him and we actually had such a great talk about the client and about what's going on and we actually started working on something else together me and the advisor so sometimes advisors will be hostile just because you're being hostile with them and i try really to enter into those conversations in an open mind objectively because i understand that we all need to make a living we all trying to build a business and sometimes it is just a better fit thank you voter it almost makes me think of you know moving to another gp where your GP is not going to phone that other GP and say, hey, why are you stealing <laughs> my patient? Uh, I would almost expect them to phone the GP and say, hey, here's the client file. You know, here's the medical history. Yeah. Here's things that might be valuable. Because you know, we almost have that onus of do no harm. You know, we have a fiduciary standard. And exactly. interestingly, it seemed like the fiduciary standard originated in South Africa, where we have to place our client's interest first. I want to jump into the fintech side, which is a part that, you know, excites me and it excites you. Tell me how that relationship with your business partner um, that you met at university came about and, and why it was that you started this robo-advisor. Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, I think the robo-advisor was, was, was started out of, out of fear of me being 20, 25. I started when I was 21, not having a job in, in a few years. And I learned a lot from that project um, and I would say the biggest thing that I learned from that project is that clients are willing to do things online, but they do need almost that personal aspect um, of, of financial planner. So that is actually transitioned into other f f fintech, um, fintech ideas and the, or the one that we're currently working on with my business partner, Emil Fanderspey, uh, is that we built a, a simulation tool that directly integrates into SARS um, that focuses on retirement planning. So in a nutshell, how it works is if you withdraw money from any retirement fund, a pension fund, or a preservation fund, etc., as we know, the first 500000 is tax-free when we retire, or the first 25000 is tax-free when we leave employment. Um, and us as financial planners, especially coming from from university we love doing those manual calculations and calculating what tax would be but we as financial planners don't know if there was previous withdrawals if there's excess contributions if there's an it88 uh, meaning that the client owes SARS money and um, and that's where this uh, new financial or fintech 
uh, project Gravitas Tax uh, came about. And we actually integrated it into SARS. Um, and all that you do now is you press a button, uh, put in the client's tax number, ID number, and um, then actually gives you the exact amount of tax um, that you pay. So that's been a, a massive help to my business. And we've currently have about 300 advisors on, on our platform and, and we're expanding every day. Um, that's been a lot of a big help for, for them as financial planners, for us as financial planners. Um, and also the most importantly, the clients has been getting so much value out of that. Um, and I always like to use my, my top client as an example. Um, he has excess contribution because he earns so much. He over contributes more than 350,000 a year and the excess contribution builds up. So when he retires, he actually doesn't have 500,000 tax free, he actually has over 4 million tax free. Um, so yeah, that's, it really adds value. If you can just think of that client, if he can take 4 million discretionary funds and the rest can be going to a compulsory annuity, his tax, marginal tax will just be so much lower because he'll draw from the discretionary funds and draw from the living annuity funds. So it can really just add so much value to financial planners. Definitely. As a user uh, and subscriber of Gravitas Tax, uh, it's made a massive difference in our business. I want to talk a little bit about you know financial advisors selecting technology. There's this search for the holy grail, you know, one piece of software that does everything perfectly well. Why hasn't that panned out? And why have we seen this adoption of kind of modular approach where you have hyper niche software providers like Gravitas Tax plugging into other providers or even maybe standing on its own? What's your take on why there hasn't been one truly successful financial planning software solution for advisors? Yeah, it's actually something that I've been reflecting on for, for a long time. And I think it comes down to um, the jack of all trades. Um, and I actually uh, uh, listened to a podcast the other day, the fool saying is actually much further than jack of all trades. Um, and it comes down to if you do something very well, um, yes, you can do a few things very well, but folks, for us, if we just focus on doing simulations for, for Gravitas Tax, we do it, we do it very, very well. Doesn't mean we don't do our financial planning well. Um, but I think the reason in the financial planning or fintech space to be able to do all aspects of financial planning in one software tool is near to impossible. You'll need to have a few billion rand to de develop all this technology and then you become an incumbent again and then it becomes difficult. So I, I I'm actually a big advocate for, for having a few different software programs um, that does each its own little thing uh, and it does it well because then you can specialize um, in what we do and um, improve that service. And also that's a, a different view. That's also the same thing in the asset manager. That's why we, uh, where we use models or different asset managers because different people and different asset managers have different views. Um, and the more we expand our views, the more we can actually grow not only our business, but ourselves. Um, so yeah, I'm actually a big advocate for having a few different programs um, to enhance my financial planning, uh, financial planning business. So it sounds like the key is staying small, staying nimble, but then really honing in, like you said, you know, be the master of that piece and not the jack of all trades. For financial planners listening, what are the other tools that come to mind that you use on a daily basis that you might be able to share with us? And, you know, for the record, it's not a plug, but really just sharing uh, 
pieces of software yeah. that other people might be able to use. Yeah. So the the other, and that's not maybe even financial planning software. This is more um, just organizational skills. Is I use Microsoft To Do, which is basically just a to do list, um, and I can allocate it to other people. So for example, I have a paraplanning staff. I have uh, secretaries that does the admin. Um, and I have a junior financial advisors, and I can literally add almost to-dos to each one of their lists. They can make notes on that. So that is, is, has changed our business completely by just being organized. Um, and if I can go back to our, our earlier point of clients, uh, it's important to communicate to clients, but it's, it's even more important to, uh, if clients phone, phone back. If they email you, email back. And that just helps a lot uh, with, with the organization of that. Um, because if I need to do something, I'll put it on the reminder list and it will pop up on my screen. I need to do it today. So it's, uh, and it's difficult to, to manage that from, for example, in your calendar where I used to do it. It's just so much easier to, to, to allocate tasks. And, um, and then clients would sometimes ask me, but just how did you remember this? We spoke about this six, seven months ago. And I said, I made a note on your file. I made a note on, on to do it, to follow up. And, and I do manage my team like that as well. And small things as well, uh, what's up business? It sounds basic things here, but uh, what's up business? That's also changed my business completely. Um, and it's if you have normal WhatsApp as an advisor, you literally just change it over to WhatsApp business. Um, you can add a little profile pic and uh, services and, and small things like that. And inside WhatsApp business, you can um, create uh, auto replies. You can create uh, broadcast lists. Um, and yeah, that's quite quite um, beneficial especially when you're out of the office seeing clients just and they'll send you a message something that will pops up and say i'm just busy with a client uh, or like i said the broadcast list i send out so people always think you have to use this massive financial planning software you don't the everyday tools can it's already built for businesses we are business and uh, yeah so i think those two tools is the tools that enhance uh, enhance my financial planning in terms of organizational skills by far. Burton, why does the task allocation and management not sit inside the CRM? You know, I'm curious to hear why it is that you prefer the standalone, you know, niche tool uh, that only looks at tasks and allocation and, and not using your CRM for that. Yeah, we looked into this, the CRM tool a, a while ago. And in my opinion, it was just a little bit archaic and almost too complex. Uh, there was too many fields that we have to complete, and um, and that was our exactly the same thing that we tried to do in Gravitas Tax. Um, keeping it simple, stupid. <laughs> you just have six inputs, and you be able to do a simulation, and that's the same thing with with it to do. I just have to enter one thing. It takes me two seconds. Um, I used to have sticky notes all over my computer and everywhere, and that's basically how it works. It works like a, a little sticky note. So. It doesn't have a secure login. I don't have to go through two center of authentication, then go into the client, then add a note. It's just boom, open it up, and it's there. And it's obviously with Microsoft to do. It's on your phone, it's on your um, on your laptop. It can be on your desktop. It can be an app. It can basically be anything. Um, and for me personally, I try to be creative and try to look at new ideas and think of new ideas. So as I think about something, it just boom. Here's that note. I put it on, and it's there. To explain it better, it's basically like the same as like a, a note on your phone, but it's just has a little reminder, a little thingy with, and it has an organizational chart, a task, a reminder. So it's a very basic, basic tool that helps, and that's why I prefer not to do it in inside my CRM. 
they say a short pencil is better than a long memory. And just writing it down <laughs> and knowing that, you know, you can come back to it when a client speaks about yeah. it. And I like this fact that you're saying, hey, it should be on any device. And hopefully we'll see a Gravitas WhatsApp bot at some point where you can just give the, <laughs> the information in and, you know, out comes the, the result. Tell me, what does the future of financial planning look like? For someone that spends time, enjoys technology, but also engages with clients, what does this industry look like 10 years from now in voted of its opinion? Yeah. So, so Louis, that's something I do spend a lot of time on thinking and I even try to take breaks. So to go away completely from, from technology in the office and try to think of what I think the future looks like. Um, so as I think, as I said earlier, I do think financial advice will always have a, a human aspect to it, but how that human aspect looks might change in the future in the future. So my, my thinking behind it is I think there will only be one person that will handle your finances in the future, an accountant um, or a financial planner that, that should be able to do your tax, should be able to give advice, should be able to um, open up a product for you, do your buy and sell agreement. So I think with, with technology enhancing and getting so much better with systems like QuickBooks, Zero. Um, look at all the financial planning CRM that's out there. I think in the future, all of that's going to merge. And you're just going to have this one super financial professional that can basically handle everything for you. So that's what I'm, I'm, I'm building towards where um, our financial planning technology, like you mentioned on a modular space, can integrate into these type of tools where financial planners can actually do everything for you. They can do tax, they can do or even just work with an accountant um, and you can do the financial planning space. So I do think financial planners and accountants would need to start working better together. Um, and that is something that, that we, that we're busy building for the future. It's maybe a bit early to, to say something about that, but hopefully we'll, after Gravitas tax, um, we'll be launching something very, very interesting for the financial planning space to actually pull together us as a profession, um, and actually to to make our advice more professional, to to not sell products, but to actually work on certain tax, certain principles, certain things that will actually hold the future. Vota, how does this differ from the family office units that we often see people talk about, where there's an element of tax advice, there's asset management, you know, there might be real estate or or property assistance, there's financial planning. Um, how does this vision differ from what we're already seeing in the market in some segments? Um, I think the only thing that it really differs is the technology front. If you just look at a pre and post COVID environment, the way how we do business now and the way how we did, did, did business before then, um, like this morning, I did a living annuity review in, in 18 minutes. And the client told me she's she's very busy, even though she's retired, she's very busy with her other business and she prefers seeing me, she knows me for many years, so she prefers seeing me on, on Zoom um, and do and I have my financial planning software open in front of her. I've got Gravitas open in front of her so I can quickly do the, the calculations and I can on the spot tell her what, what, what she needs to do for the next year. Um, compared to having two or three face-to-face -face meetings, then doing calculations. So I think the, how this differs from the family practices is technology. 
Um, and I think technology is going to keep on growing and getting better to the point where a lot of the functions that we used to do will get automated. Um, and I'm all for that. I'm not for um, removing the financial aspect for it, but I'm removing all these meaning little tasks that we as humans do so that we can actually enhance our practice. And by doing that, taking out um, tasks that takes lots of time, time obviously equals money, and in the end, you can actually, as a business, grow a much better, much more profitable business and spending time on the um, things that make you money or make your business money. And in turn, save the client some funds, um, some costs, some additional fees, etc. Um, one of my first managers always said, uh, NIPAS, non-income producing activities. And th that's so true. The, the more technology can, can work on those type of things, reducing the, the NIPAS, <laughs> the, the better we can run our financial planning practice, our tax practices. So I think it's just how it differs is technology will improve. Um, it will keep on getting better and we must just be an advocate or at least a first adopter of this technology and yes, go through the growing pains, but in that we will improve the technology and in turn improve our business. It's wonderful how you managed to piece all of this together in the hyper-efficient financial advisor that spends time with clients and in front of clients delivering advice. And I'm wondering, does that mean the role of an admin assistant disappears? And if so, how do we retrain and, you know, make our team members more efficient in other areas in the business? Yeah, no, not at all. So I'm still an advocate for, for admin assistants. And I would say they are just a, a different, they have the same role as we have, but just on a different level. So yes, they might not, it might also improve their lives a lot. For example, oh, that's actually another uh, a software program we use that, absolutely change our business quickly sign i have to give a, a shout out to to rob um from quickly sign which is <laughs> if he if he knew how much time he saved me and my financial planning business he would he would write me a much bigger bill than the the small fee i pay every month for for quickly sign um but back on the the admin assistants i don't think the role for them will will change um or it, it will change in the aspect of it will technology will improve their lives as well. But I do think they are also sometimes the front line in communicating to clients. And as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's quite important for them to to have that that almost interaction with, with a human or be able to at least just know they can pick up the phone and there's someone there. And I actually uh, spoke to a few SPEW financial planners that's, that's uh, almost deciding to get an admin assistant. And I'm, I'm a big advocate for getting admin assistant uh, for two reasons the service betters for your clients and and secondly it actually motivates you to to actually do some work uh, do some things that you've been um, procrastinating on um, and the one financial advisor said but but I can actually do this myself yeah you can but if you know that admin assistant doesn't have work you are going to go find a work you're going to pick up the phone going to see your clients, you're going to go meet your clients. Um, so yes, I'm a big advocate for uh, for improving technology, but keeping the human aspect of it. Um, and if I can tell you a great little story of, um, 
I had when I just started, I had a, a lady that started with me. Uh, she started with me when she was 60 years old. And she retired uh, at 66. So then it was six years uh, down down the line with my practice. Um, and I just phoned her the other day just to find out how I was going with her and all of that. And she said, no, it was going good. She actually um, went to go drink coffee with one of my clients. And I was like, oh, how, how do you mean? You retired? This is, uh, I don't understand. And she said, no, they just started chatting over the phone and finding out how it was in when the, when she was working for me as, financial pl- as, as admin to financial planner. And they just built a great relationship. And that just almost resonated with me that how important that relationship aspect is for people. We, as people, need to work with other people. Yes, technology is there and robo-advisors and tech, all of that is so important to, to enhance efficiency. But the human aspect is just as important. I really like this idea of relationship managers in your business that's building a stronger relationship with your clients as a practice you know, and not just there to complete paperwork because that's being automated. You know, shout out to Rob Curtis. Thank you for building quickly sign. <laughs> we'll make sure that you get a copy of this episode. Um, and these tools are out there. So don't be afraid to use them. And that's what we're hearing from people like yourself, Voto, saying that use the tools that's already been built. These things aren't that difficult. And it's also, it's becoming part of your job. You know, you need to know how to use these things. Uh, it's no longer an optional. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we keep on referring back to Rob, but it's something as small as just digitizing signatures that will actually just change your business and and just get you away from from those little non-income producing activities. Um, and also, the, the I think the best thing with, with technology is that I sometimes don't appreciate how much technology helps until I actually sit with my team and my admin team and they tell me that sure over the last two years after COVID their work has become so much more almost fun because they don't have to do these meaningless admin tasks and they actually can focus on um, giving good service to clients, replying quickly on emails um, and getting the business out than sitting and filling in paperwork where everything can actually be digitized. Voter, it's wonderful to hear your passion for financial planning and the way you're innovating, not just the way you're delivering advice, but also thinking about the future. I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. If people want to reach out to you and just maybe have a chat, what's the best way to get hold of you? Yeah, they can anytime, anytime contact me. Um, they can find me on, on the internet or Google. Uh, all our details will be, be be there. Our practice will be there. Um, they can Google Gravitas Tax. They'll find our website there. Um, and like I mentioned, it, it will really enhance their business out of financial planning um, place. But yeah, reach out to us. Um, we're always open because we're so passionate about the professional. And like Webber's Klein always says, passion for the profession. That actually, we need to be advocates for the for the industry um, to, to make it more professional, to make it more um, almost fun to be in. So yeah, reach out. We're always open to have a discussion. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Voter. Thanks, Louis, for having me.